So I'm Gavin Robertson. I'm the uh, winemaker and an instructor um, at Niagara College Teaching Winery and the Canadian Food and Wine Institute, which is the sort of academic department uh, associated with, with food and beverage sciences um, at the Niagara-on-the-Lake campus uh, of Niagara College. Um, so I've been working uh, at the at the teaching winery for about 10 years. I was a student previous to that in the uh, the winery and viticulture technician program, um, and I've been sort of head winemaker since 2014. So part of my role, um, along with kind of managing our, our vineyard and um, a couple acres of hops and a tiny little uh, cider orchard. Uh, is to make wine, and um, in addition to that, a uh, fair bit of cider under the same license. It's a pretty unique system and setup where you're bringing in uh, students to learn the process and they get the hands-on of making it and, uh, and, and the serving and the hospitality beside of things. Uh, have you come across anywhere else that's doing something like this? Um, good question. Uh, I mean, certainly Cornell has um, some lab facilities, some production space. Um, there are very few, um, certainly there are teaching wineries and I've visited a fair number of them from sort of California to South Africa to Germany, Italy. Um, the, lots of those places in the States would also venture into cider here and there, particularly I'm thinking um, Cornell because it is a crop there. Um, Beyond that, there's very there's almost no formal education in cider production. Um, the Cider Institute of North America um, uh, is has gone through an overhaul, and in my understanding, uh, is cobbling together sort of a, a long-term certificate. Um, but uh, that's not attached to a particular production facility in any way. So, as far as I know, certainly in North America, we're the only. Um, commercially licensed sort of production facility that's also teaching sort of sort of cider and it's a, a really neat sort of again uh, mix between a whole bunch of things on the cider side of things uh, the focus is cider 101 can you tell me what that brand means and 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 how that comes together yeah it's it's our core brand and the 101 series is a spin-off from our teaching brewery which also um, has a portfolio of uh, classic beer styles um, so Pilsner 101, Strong Ale 101, Porter 101, etc. Um, and then beyond that, they, they also have um, smaller batch kind of seasonals and one-offs. Um, but it's important um, to have kind of, I guess, a paradigm of style um, in-house that, that, that's made with the assistance of students and also available for sale for students and, and the public. The 101 concept being that, of course, we're an educational um, sort of place and there's, there's sort of like very pertinent, very fundamental information um, re regarding the style and sort of the essentials of production on the packaging as well. So, so I, would I would describe the Cider 101 as our like pub cider. So, so a blend of readily available um, Ontario apples um, taken in mostly uh, at, at harvest wherever possible because you get the best quality fruit there. Um, uh, but available year-round and um, uh, made in kind of a slightly off-dry, um, everyday-by-the-pint sort of style. Uh, on top of the 101, we also, um, at the teaching winery, teaching cidery, um, uh, have a regularly changing sort of roster of seasonals, uh, one-offs, barrel ferments, um, uh, hopped ciders from our own hop yard. Um, whatever we, you know, very small runs, like two to 500 bottles usually, 
and really whatever we, we sort of feel like making. We'll, we'll try and include students in the brainstorming for that. And up to this point in the last couple of years, I don't think we've repeated the same recipe twice outside of Cider 101. So it's kind of a fun outlet um, for, for us. It's very different from um, winemaking um, in an appellation system, which, which has quite, you know, fairly stringent rules on what can, can be in the bottle, really just grapes. <laughs> um, I, I find uh, craft cider making in Ontario a little more like craft beer in that um, certainly you can play with multiple ingredients and multiple styles and there isn't the same regulatory sort of oversight that there would be for, for wine. So it's sort of a fun outlet. And uh, we had a chance to sample a couple. The 101 has been around for a handful of years, like you said, sort of the baseline work. And then uh, tell us about the one that's available right now. We have a strawberry... Um, sort of says riff on a, on a wit, I guess. So it's got some wit spice and it's a co-ferment with strawberry, slightly barrel soured. Um, I'm not sure if they, they were able to pour that for you um, unless we've, we've sold out of it. Um, and then we also have kind of a fun, fruity, summery, um, kind, of, kind of playing with um, the flavors in Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Um, uh, so, so a cider base kind of built, built up around that. And again, it's just sometimes it's fun to see what we can do on the, on the back end, like, like, like to deconstruct flavor. The neat thing about apple cider as a base is it really can take on like almost anything. Um, so, um, uh, uh, you can riff on, you know, cocktail flavors. There's a lot that can be done. Um, that, uh, that that can be pretty inventive. So we were, just, I mean, literally, it was like a Friday afternoon tasting session, and someone was like, you know, what about, what about a Dr Pepper? <laughs> so we, uh, we 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 played with some bench trials and figured out what we thought was maybe maybe part of the flavor profile, and came up with a couple hundred bottles. It sounds like you probably got like 16 or 17 of their 21 ingredients. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's really nice as a, as an alternative uh, cider. Um, we haven't seen other types of, uh, you know, sodas other than the root beer one uh, a couple years ago that uh, County Cider put out, which was really quite nice as well. Um, so I guess just, just out of curiosity then, uh, the idea is that often you and the students will sit down and you'll go through a bunch of different ciders and tasting notes and then as a, as a collective decide, oh, we're going to make this style and then go towards having them run through the process? Yeah, absolutely. And we'll often start with just the seasonal ingredient piece. So we're fermenting rhubarb and uh, strawberries and cherries that are all coming out of Niagara Gardens and, and vineyards right now. Um, uh, so obviously, you know, May to August is a great time to be, to be making these fun, fruity, approachable ciders. And I'd say they also have a certain appeal to, uh, you know, our, the seasonal tourist who, um, who is visiting Niagara for lots of reasons. So they're visiting for the wines and the beers, uh, the craft ciders. They're also visiting for a waterfall. So we think it's important to, to not necessarily just have high-end Pinot Noir on the shelf or traditional method sparkling wine. Um, but to have some you know, fun fruity stuff and the cider in particular, in particular lets uh, us, us do that uh, fairly quickly. We do also play with more traditional um, ciders. So I, I've got a barrel program of single varietal um, apples. So whether it's sort of cross purpose dessert apples that, that make pretty good cider like russets or, or spies uh, or Ida reds um, and occasionally when we can get our hands on them some proper cider apples. 
Um, that's, that's really important to me because as a winemaker, it really starts in the vineyard, starts in the orchard. It's just tough to, to get those apples at this point because right now there isn't a lot of incentive for growers to, to rip out the, the apples that they sell out of every year to, to plant um, other varieties that they don't necessarily understand in terms of disease management and, uh, and plant phenology. Um, that said, we've just actually received this week a um, nice kind of pilot scale mill and press from Austria, Apple Press, which is going to allow us to work with um, with a couple local growers to actually get small batches of uh, of cider specific apples. We've also planted a third of an acre of uh, Kingston Blacks and Dabinets and Muscadet de Dieppe, so some some proper cider apples that to uh, you know, make a style that I'm really interested in that maybe the Canadian consumer doesn't necessarily understand just because you never see them, <laughs> you have to travel. And we, we've noticed a lot of that, that the uh, the places that we're going to uh, who have, have started up are often, you know, planting their own, uh, you know, trees specifically for the five-acre requirement so that they can sell off of the, their space. And um, what we've noticed is that, uh, yeah, they are trying to push a little further towards some of those non-traditional ones in the area here and get more of the, the heritage or the, the cider apples yeah. in that sort of sense. So it's been a, an interesting sort of experience to go through all of that and a lot of what we've been experiencing through the chatting and the meeting with people is that yes, the, it is still on an upswing. It's really about the education for the consumer now to get into everything as opposed to, well, it says it's dry, it's dry. And we know dry really means anything from driest of their types to something that is as close to a wine as you can kind of get. Um, and a handful of others in between too. So it's, uh, it's an interesting sort of experience um, all the way around from what we're getting at. And uh, I think that the training, the education on the makers and the people who are doing that work is also as critical as it is to the uh, the consumer on that side of things. Uh, you also have your own little side project. Can you tell a little yeah. bit about that? Sure, yeah. So um, I also have kind of a virtual cidery called Garage Door Ciders um, with, uh, with my partner, Brian Yao. And, th and that really spun out, um, of the early days of making cider at the college, realizing fairly quickly that I could certainly ferment apple juice without too much trouble, you know, coming from a, a good solid wine science background. Um, it helps with sanitation. It helps with understanding the microbiology, but I realized I didn't understand that much about cider styles. Uh, and again, that's partly you know, living in in Ontario, where access to international styles um, isn't always uh, isn't always what what it maybe could be or what it should be, um, which you realize when you cross the border down south and and, and deal with private distribution, um, and so it was an outlet for you know my partner and I who who was also just interested in gen general at the sort of with this sort of cider movement to experiment even a little bit further than um, than I do in the context of the Niagara College teaching cidery. So for a period, we, we, you know, we, we were at another winery, um, another facility where we could play more with sours and wild yeast strains in a way that I wouldn't be comfortable in my commercial sort of winery operation. Um, so, so that was part of it. Um, and then just doing, uh, but, but the, I guess our our business model um, similarly is really not to compete with the big boys for permanent taps where you have to get into um, 
you know, keg sales that, that you simply can't do at a small scale. Um, it was to work with, um, um, you know, sort of purveyors of like fine beverages, mostly craft beer bars in the GTA as far as sort of Kitchener, Waterloo, Guelph, and really specifically work with them to come up with unique things. We might make eight or 10 kegs, and then when they're gone, they're gone, and, and we're into something else. And so that, that was, that's always been part of the appeal. And similarly, working with local seasonal ingredients as, as much as possible, but more probably wild ferments and kind of age, aging maturation programs, um, coming up with really sort of interesting blends, I think. So, so yeah, it's a fun outlet. Uh, very much a hobby sort of on the weekends, but <laughs> yeah. It, uh, you answered a whole bunch of the questions I was going <laughs> to ask along in that area. So that's, uh, that's kind of uh, fine uh, in that yeah, sense. So <laughs> exactly. Um, as someone who's sort of just getting into a little bit of my own production side of things, um, or our side of things, what would you say is one of the key components that we would have to be paying most attention to, or we should try to make sure we're focusing on, uh, so that we can at least get a drinkable cider for our first round out? Yeah, so certainly sanitation, first, first and foremost. Um, because there are many wild yeast and bacteria and molds that will be that will be coming in even with the best quality juice from from the orchard um, many of which are capable of uh, of fermenting of metabolizing a variety of things most notably the sugars in that apple juice and um, uh, occasionally forming a bit of ethanol a bit of alcohol um, but often forming sort of byproducts that don't smell or taste very good. So you want to have um, really good control over that. So that means keeping the population low and encouraging the conditions um, uh, to undergo a really good healthy fermentation, whether it's a wild or, or indigenous fer ferment or an inoculated one, you can still monitor the conditions really closely in a way that will favor Saccharomyces sort of, sort of to, to ferment in a healthy way. So. Um, and then the you know the thing we we, we tell the students um, attentiveness like like you you know if, if if your ferment is going south and it's a little eggy you don't go home for the night you stick around at the winery through through that through that long harvest night because um, it'll be a bigger problem in the morning so just just being on top of things um, beyond that um, it's just important to to you know learn by trial and error so. The more you, the more batches you, you can make, the uh, um, the more you'll understand the process, and uh, inevitably you improve. You know because nobody wants to drink stuff that doesn't taste good. You will find a way to make it taste better the next time. <laughs> and that's something that we've noticed too a lot is that cideries that have started up in the last two three years um, have been progressively getting better. And I think that um, there's a, an understanding where maybe some of the individuals where it's a winery with a one-off on the side, they've got their method, they continue on, they release the same thing every year. That's fine. They found their, their area, they found their need and their want, and they go forward with it. It's the others that are focusing cider as their plan have started to really say, okay, I need to hone in and continuously make things better. Um, from the business perspective of things, what do you think is, uh, whether it's either you personally or as a, as a sector as a whole, um, I'm assuming the answer is probably the taxation issues, but uh, if, it's, if it's 
that, we're happy to speak about it. But if it's not that, what are some of the other major challenges that you think um, are, are still plaguing the industry here in Ontario? Yeah, so short of taxation and distribution, which I'm sure uh, you have lots of background on, on already, which would help everybody and it would help ever. If you, you put a little money in, in the pocket of small business, they'll hire people, they'll make more product, they'll get it into more hands and they'll take a cut out of all of the international products that are flooding flooding our market already. There's no reason that your average consumer in Ontario wouldn't happily drink 95% Ontario cider, but if you go to the local distributor's shelves, um, there isn't 95% Ontario, and, and there are many barriers to to uh, Ontario cideries growing to the point that they can even produce that much, including the amount of apples in the ground. At, th at this point, there's a distinct shortage of apples. There's a distinct shortage of the right kind of apples to make structured ciders that can stand alone, that can maybe age a little bit, that are more complex, as you see in, in the UK or in France or, or maybe in Spain. Um, so certainly figuring out the agricultural side and our friends down the road at Vineland Research um, um, have put some resources into the, the agricultural side with um, uh, trialing both old and new experimental uh, cider specific varieties, which will, which will be really interesting. We're hoping to work with them on um, a bunch of trial ferments so they can handle the egg side, the growing side, we can handle the, uh, the fermentation side. Um, uh, beyond that, I think a big issue um, likely in our industry right now where a lot of sort of startups have, have jumped on board because, because it is a bit of a, you know, in a minor way at least, a, a cider boom, would be differentiating yourself on the market. So we're all working with essentially the same apple blends, particularly as you get later into the season where you're dealing with like large kind of, kind of wholesaler, large press houses you kind of, you get what you get. And so if everybody's fermenting what, what chemically is pretty similar as, a, as an apple base, how do you turn that into something <laughs> that, that tastes like garage door, tastes like Niagara College teaching cidery? Um, and, and there are lots of creative, creative approaches to that. If you, you know, as, as you, you guys would know as well as anyone tasting around the province, um, whether it's through adjuncts or through barrel programs, um, um, searching out unique yeasts from maybe local suppliers. There, there are lots of ways that you can do it, but you certainly have to be creative. Um, a big issue, you know, and I would say speaking less maybe for the, the teaching cider, where I think we have a pretty good handle on process, but no doubt a, a big issue for a lot of the, the small startups. As you grow and as you start distributing more widely is shelf stability. Um, where it's just there's a learning curve. We, we've seen it with craft beer already, and it's happening with craft cider, is as you go from just selling at your cellar door at your farm gate to selling through LCBO or licensees where you no longer have as much control over um, that product, you can run into some, some stability issues and recalls. So um, certainly we would, we would hope that, that, that through an education program such as ours, um, even though our, our, our primary focus is, is absolutely grape wine, um, we have many, many graduates um, leaving the program, uh, both, both of the beer and, and wine programs who end up in, in cideries. And um, you know, we're quite sure that, that they have the toolkit um, to understand a lot of those issues and, and therefore like, make more sound product that certainly, I think, helps the reputation of like Ontario Craft Cider 
at large. So, so I think that that's really important. A little, little bit of knowledge, a little bit of science um, goes, and, and technology, frankly, go, goes a long way. Well, thank you for your time. I don't really have much else to ask other than to say thank you both for the, uh, the training, the learning opportunities, because I think that's making a big impact on who's making and in the area as well, knock on wood, uh, and uh, for yourself for experimenting and exploring some of the really fine stuff that you do as well, because we, uh, I think if I remember last year, we had you as one of our favorite ciders uh, of the year as well, so appreciate it. Thanks for braving the 401. <laughs>